Welcome to TMZ Live. Harvey Levin here. Charles here. Um, President Biden uh, has visited Lahaina in Maui, and uh, the reception was not particularly well received by the residents there. Many of pretty them harsh from some people. Very angry at the kind of tepid response of the federal government to this incredible disaster um, that began, frankly, with Joe Biden saying when he was asked about it, no comment. Yeah, that absolutely incensed a lot of people there uh, in Maui. And we wanted to talk to uh, someone who is there in the middle of all this, uh, someone that we know very well. Um, if you're a longtime viewer of TMZ, you will remember Peter O'Reardon, um, who was a beloved staffer here. But he is now living in Maui, and he has suffered incredibly. Has his whole a, family. He's lived there, I believe, since 2016, and um, he's lost everything. His family has lost everything, and we thought we would put a human face on this with somebody that means something to us. Right. So joining us right now is Peter O'Riordan. Peter, welcome back to TMZ Live. Hello, guys. Good morning. Hey, it's great to see you. Not. Obviously not the circumstances, but good to see your face. Um, tell us what, what happened yesterday. Um, were you present at all for any of the, the president's um, appearances? And how do, how do people there feel about it? You know, I did kind of struggle with that for, for a little bit. Um, should I go and... Um, um, I can't, I mean, heckle, I think, is um, kind of a lot of people on a lot of people's minds here. But I didn't invest in any time in Joe Biden and whatever efforts and photo ops he decided to uh, to have over here on the island. Um, I think it really is the consensus of too little, too late um, for us over here, um, especially from our uh, kind of commander in chief, um, as you would as you would call him. So, you know, before we kind of get into the government's response, I want people to hear what happened to your life and your family's life as a result of this. How has, you know, how has this hit you? What happened with you and your family? Yeah, so um, I, um, I've been living in Maui um, since 2016. Um, I have two little boys, obviously, um, and uh, I do have an ex-wife, their mother. We do um, uh, share custody, obviously, with the kids. So there was kind of two houses um, involved in this, um, in addition to her mother-in-law's house, who's actually been here from from the early 70s. So, um, you know, as, I, as you know, I did work in entertainment for a long time. Um, in 2016, I kind of switched gears at my best friend and really um, invested and planted roots in the community of Lahaina with respect to developing our businesses here. Um, and, you know, this was my life. This this was my home. I'm an island person as it is from Ireland. So this was really the only other place where, where I really felt comfortable with the community and with the people um, in a sense of Ireland to what I'm used to. So I have put all my eggs in this basket with respect to my life. I had planned on being here and supporting and investing in this community um, until the day they, they were taking me away in a casket. So as you can imagine, my house is gone, my car is gone, my valuables, my memories, my children's house is gone. Like I said, my mother's house is gone. My business is desperately dependent on tourism, as is this island. Um, so, you know, the ambiguity of everything right now is um, is the thing that's most scary, I think, for, for everybody here, not just for myself. I, I, I got to say, Peter, it's just to breathtakingly that, awful to hear this. We should be clear that video you were just seeing, that was video that Peter shot of the remains. one of the of remains of one of their homes. Um, 
a car there. Uh, it's just, as you say, everything is gone. What can you or what are you doing at, at this moment and other people doing as far as just shelter? There's makeshift camps available for people. Um, there's a lot on the west side. There's some up in Kula as well. And there's a huge one at the War Memorial, um, which is in Wailuku. So those are predominantly areas where people are seeking refuge and shelter. But I mean, it is not adequate um, and it's 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 not good enough for the, these families that have been displaced, multi-generational families that have really carved um, out the, you know, the culture, the acquiescence of Lahaina and that feeling that you get. And, you know, a lot of people come to Maui and they talk about that aloha spirit and that magic and that genesequa that you feel here. Um, that magic is only created by the people that have been here and the history of Lahaina and the history of Maui, you know, with dating back to when it was the epicenter of um, Hawaii. Um, and there's a lot of history here with Kapuna, Kanaka, and with the royalty um, of Lahaina in general. So I think it's just even more devastating in that respect because it was such a unique place um, to be. And it is going to be such a devastating and hard job to replicate and recreate that with the respect for the elders and the people that have carved that magic here. Peter, how are your kids, you two small boys, how are they processing this? It just seems impossible. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's devastating, Harvey. Um, you know, kids are resilient. They're incredibly resilient. But for them to be put through a situation where, you know, they're screaming and they're being told to get out of their house and to grab their belongings, grab two things that are most precious to them. Um, you know, it's a terrifying experience. And I know from speaking with other friends and other families and other communities that there aren't children that are doing um, as well as my children are, or seemingly as well as my children are, you know, this is such a traumatic experience. Like you have children that were at home from school because of the hurricane conditions. There was absolutely no warning whatsoever for these people. You have a blaze that was moving at six miles a minute and was incinerating anything that came in its path. You know, we see a lot of imagery and there's a lot of optics with this. And um, we're seeing the burnt out cars. We're seeing the decimated buildings. Like what you have to understand, unfortunately, um, and try to conceive is that those cars had people inside them. Those houses had people inside them and they are incinerated. So, yes, we do have a death count, a body count of in around the hundreds. But we also still have over a thousand people that are missing. And unfortunately, you know, the worst case scenario is the process is now identifying these families and these children based on DNA. So. I, I definitely fear the worst um, for the, the body count and whatnot. It's mind-boggling it really to just is. understand this devastation. So um, do you think the federal government can make things right? I realize that They're they came in late, time. but is there any hope that if only that there's political currency in this, that they might give you the significant help you need? Yeah, I know you talk about hope, Harvey. Um, like that is the only currency that we have right now is hope um, and community. And based on the reaction and the history of things here, you know, you had Hurricane Aniki that happened here. Yeah. And the efforts um, were expedited drastically within hours. The Navy was here. The Air Force was here. There were ships on the way. I covered Hurricane Aniki. I went to uh, Kauai 
when that happened. Okay. And, and I remember that the government's response was instantaneous. Right. So, you know, there's been a serious lack here um, of reaction. I think the, the, the word here is mismanagement from a local level right up to a national level. Now, I don't want to be pointing fingers at people because right now we need proactivity and we need to figure out the future. And, you know, it's been said, if you're pointing two fingers at someone, you're immobilizing the other eight that you can open up and now their hands to help. So there is a serious distrust here if there wasn't already, I feel, at federal government level. And I mean, how could there not be distrust, Harvey, when you're seeing a man who is a career politician that has asked a simple question that any human being could connect to and emote to when a tragedy has happened, give the answer he did and respond to the people and give the people who are suffering that message. I mean, I think you'll agree, like, um, there's not much hope and there's not much... um, there's there's not much trust, I think, in, in Joe Biden and the administration. And then specifically in relation to the amounts of foreign aid that's been given for, um, you know, national security, these billions of dollars. In fact, I think the day after it happened, um, there was a, a bill to Senate to put another 200 million to, to Ukraine. So that's all very frustrating things when you have people that are paying taxes here and are just being neglected and left by the wayside. It almost feels like we've been headbutted. We have a broken nose and three days later, somebody comes with the smallest bandaid they have and says, well, here you go. We got you. Don't worry. You know, as I hear you talking about this, Peter, it reminds me so much of what people were saying in New Orleans um, after after the hurricane there, that where was the response from the government? And this is the same exact. You have a natural disaster that has decimated a place. And that's when you count on the federal government. Um, I, I get the frustration. You know, it would, it would also, if you, if you recall, obviously, you know, you had that crazy moment from Kanye West talking about George Bush. And, you know, as someone who's on the ground here now with a community that is suffering and grieving, you know, you look at someone like that and you kind of start thinking, you know, maybe maybe Kanye is not crazy, you know, maybe maybe he's right on some things. And specifically in relation to that, that we are so close to right now. Well, look, I mean, there's nothing to say I mean, other than just wishing you and your family and the community there the best and, you know, and hopefully you get the support you need um, and the financial help you need to rebuild. But our hearts really go out to you, Peter, and to your family as well. You know, um, there is hope and there is light at the end of the tunnel. It is a very long tunnel, but I just want to get out the message, I think, from everybody in the community here um, in Maui. We're heavily dependent on tourism, you know, our economy, our economy, excuse me, is dependent on it. There are businesses here that are still ready to operate. We need tourism dollars. Maui is not closed, but we need responsible tourism. If you come here, come here with a renewed feeling of sensitivity and respect for the people that are suffering. But we need your business. The north of West Maui is still open. South Maui is still open. Hana is still open. Upcountry is still open. If we don't matriculate those tourist dollars into this economy, Maui and Lahaina is going to be spun into a disaster, which it will not recover from, coupled with this obvious obvious wildfire. People should know that Maui is open for business. So um, I want to underscore that. We are grieving and we are processing at the moment, you know, and it is varying stages for everybody here. 
Um, so please just be mindful and respectful of that. We need you. We want you to come here and experience Aloha. We want to spread the Aloha. Um, so just please be mindful and be responsible if you are coming here as a tourist. The best to you, Peter. Thank you, Peter. Thank you so much for the platform, guys. I really appreciate it. And um, God bless. And a huge thank you to everybody on the ground. Obviously, the first responders, the firefighters and the policemen that really lost everything as well and, and gave it all here. And to, to uh, all the members in the community, the Schweitzer family, to Garrett, who's working um, really hard over at Maui Bruco, to Mark Anderson, to just everybody. There's too many names. Just the community, you know who you are and you know what you're doing. Um, and thank you. All right. Okay, Peter. Best of luck. Wow. It's just overwhelming. Yeah. Britney Spears' divorce from Sam Isgari has left her in a very precarious situation. Um, and that situation is that her She's support no system is gone. She, her, has, she has no one. There's no one who's living in the house with her other than staff members. Um, She's estranged from her whole family, mm -hmm. um, with one small exception. Um, she is now getting divorced from her husband, who was the main source of support. She's got basically two people, a lawyer and a manager. And the manager is Kate Hudson, who is also a very, very close to her. They're best friends. Um, and he has really, you know, stepped up with her over the years, you know, when things were really, really difficult. But he's this not- This is a different situation. Not a, he's not a therapist. He not is not a medical trained. doctor. Yep. And there's only so much he can do. The other person is her lawyer, Matt Rosengart, who got her out of the conservatorship. Um, what we're being told by multiple sources is he doesn't feel like there's anything particularly alarming going on with her. That's not what we're hearing from a lot of other people also who have various relationships, you know, business or otherwise. Mm -hmm. She's in really desperate shape right now because... She's got no one, and she is struggling with a mental and there, illness. And there's a limited amount that, that Kate Hudson or Matt Rosengart can do if things turn dire for her, you know, medically. There's really nothing they can do because she's in control of her own life right. now that the conservatorship is over. There is nothing they can do um, unless she takes their advice, and that's simply and the that's way it is right now. The difficult now. thing is getting anyone to take getting her to take advice from people. And it's one of the reasons that um, people, as we've heard it described, are walking on eggshells around her. Well, nothing they can do, guys, unless she poses a, a risk to herself or to others. Because remember, we've reported a bunch of stories over the years of, of people getting 5150s for loved ones. If if Brittany gets to the point where she is a an immediate risk to herself, then they can get law enforcement involved. She can be put on a, uh, on a mental evaluation hold as well. Uh, when you mention people walking on eggshells, her brother Brian has been in and out of the house. He sometimes, we're told, will go there to work out. He talks to Brittany, tries to feel things out, but he has to walk on eggshells because she can go from zero to 100 uh, with her, her mood and how she feels yeah. about people because of the mental state she's in. So he wants to be able to be some sort of bridge, obviously, between Brittany and her family. He just has to be really careful in doing so. And because of that, he can't really force her to do anything. And, you know, Brad, you, you mentioned 5150. It's normally a 72-hour hold. It can be extended. But, you know, I got to say, and, you know, people were really afraid to talk about that. There was such a tidal wave before. But the Free Britney movement may have done her no favors. 
And that is not to say that Jamie Spears should have stayed as her conservator, because he shouldn't have, um, if only because she, she did didn't not like him. Right. She didn't want that, and you can't have a conservatorship where the conservatee is miserable because of who the conservator is. But that doesn't mean you end it. You could figure out how to alter it, how to bring somebody else mm -hmm. in who could handle it, but there is nothing anymore. There's nobody helping her with meds, you know, where there's a regimen, there's nobody that's, look, she, before the conservatorship, she was going broke, she was in danger of dying, she had lost custody of her children, and when it worked, it worked really well. When it didn't work, it didn't work particularly well, right. but it's better than like, none of it. That's and that's just what people are, that's what I will tell you, we're very connected in this world, and that's what people are privately saying. Yeah. You know, there's a way of doing conservatorships where you have the reins tight or you have the reins loose. And if you loosen the reins where the person can live a healthy life right. and still have a structure. But I got to tell you, this is a very alarming situation based on all the people that we've been speaking with. Hi, my name's Emerson. I'm from London, England, and I hope Britney just gets all the love and support that she needs. She's got a lot of fans out there, and hopefully this divorce, when it finalized, is good for her. Just free Britney one more time. Okay. Well, well, there you go. Uh, we are going to move on. Yes, uh, to Lizzo, who uh, has been laying low since that um, the lawsuit that was filed by three of her former dancers, uh, backup dancers who alleged sexual harassment, uh, hostile workplace, um, and Lizzo has denied uh, those claims, but she hasn't really said much else. Well, she's in LA, got video of her going into um, a recording studio. Here's what she had to say. How are you? How are you holding up? Okay, I'm good. You look good, you look good. Do you have anything to say to your fans right now? I'm in the studio right now. Oh, we got some new music on the way. All right, beautiful. She's so, not going to say much much she, else. And she's not going to say anything because there's a lawsuit pending. Right. Um, and look, and we will see how this plays out. But again, everybody comes to these snap judgments. Because an allegation is made. Or when an allegation is made, it automatically becomes the truth. And I think you got to see this play out. I mean, how many times have you been surprised when you hear an allegation and you think, oh, well, that's just got to be true, and then, and then it falls it plays apart. Out. I mean, Michael Orr is a perfect example. Yeah. Michael Orr came out with this statement, and everybody said, oh, the Tuies are evil, they did all of this stuff, and then all of a sudden, things start to come out, and people have shifted their opinion. This is the way our culture seems to work here, but we got to slow down a little bit. Lizzo, uh, I'm just not feeling it because she came out with all this stuff that was like um, about loving yourself and other people not making fun of you and doing this stuff. And I've been hearing through the grapevine that, you know, like it's not only this incident, there, there's other issues with, with this and her pressuring these type of events. So, I mean, I think it would all come out eventually, but um, I'm just I'm just not feeling her right now. Yeah, I mean, look, there were other allegations that were made, not in lawsuits, but once the lawsuit right. was filed, other people said, oh, I've heard this and I've heard that. Again, all of that will play out in court if it gets to that point. All right, we have a prime example of why they say never, never say never. Never take a snapshot. Well, never take a snapshot, never say never, which I absolutely would have said if you had told me 
that Fire Festival would be back for a second uh, bite of the apple. And, that, and, and selling tickets like crazy. And that Billy McFarland would be the person at the helm of it because you remember the disaster of Firefest in 2017, um, and Billy actually ended up doing uh, four years, four years in prison for what went wrong with the first Fire Festival. But he is back, and this is the announcement he made. I, I am. Listen to this. Fire Festival two tickets are officially on sale. It has been the absolute wildest journey to get here, and it really all started during the seventh month stint in solitary confinement. I wrote out this 50-page plan of how it would take this overall interest and demand in fire, and how it would take my ability to bring people from around the world together to make the impossible happen, but how it would find the best partners in the world to allow me to be me while executing fire's vision to the highest level. We spoke to people as far away as the Middle East and South America, and ultimately we decided that Fire Festival 2 is coming back to the Caribbean. Guys, this is your chance to get in. This is everything I've been working towards. Let's go. Wow. So, the first round of tickets went on sale. And by the way, I think they're, if they're not sold out, close to sold out yep. on the first round. So people are actually buying for Fire Fest 2. So uh, joining us now uh, to talk about what we thought was impossible. Uh, is Billy McFarlane himself. Billy, welcome back to TMZ Live. Great to see you guys. And I watched you every day of those four years in jail. So it just feels absolutely <laughs> All right. incredible. Well, hold on. Oh, hold on. How did, how did we age? That's what I want to know. <laughs> no, don't ask that question. Don't answer it, Billy. You don't want the answer. I know I don't want it. Uh, how is this happening? Tell us. So you've the first round of tickets went on sale, $500. How are they selling? Because, again, I would have said, Nobody's gonna fall for this again. No one's gonna fool me again. once. <laughs> so we announced our first pre-sale on Sunday. They sold out very, very quickly. And I think this kind of all comes back to since 2016, Fire has had 32 billion impressions across social media, which makes us like the most talked about festival in the world. And we saw that in the past literally 36 hours convert to sales. Um, no lineup announced. We did not share the location and we saw that the first drop almost instantly. So it is just so incredible to finally have the support to make the fire dream a reality and to really share it with the world. This proves the point. There is no such thing as bad publicity. That mm -hmm. if you guys are getting that kind of attention, even if it was for this fiasco, it kept people's appetite alive and well. And it's kind of become this curiosity I mean, it literally proves the point that there is no such thing as bad publicity. I think the tornado of this hate and questions around fire are actually what fire is all about. The idea for Fire Festival came because I was flying in this small plane and landed on the wrong island, but ended up having the best weekend of my life with a group of people who I had never met before. And I kind of feel like I'm the pilot of a single engine propeller plane right now flying through the storm where everybody wants to watch and whether I crash or land, they want to have a front row seat as long as they're safe. So I think if I can kind of create that turbulence, then Fire Festival 2 will become a great cultural moment. So you haven't announced any lineup. So nobody knows who's going to be performing, and yet they bought the tickets. They don't know where it's going to be. It seems like there's actually less information about Fire Fest 2 than there was for the first one. And yet people are... And they're still buying. And they're still buying. How, 
Do you actually have artists lined up and you just haven't announced it yet? Or are you still working on actually getting artists? I am on the uh, No Promises tour, trying to completely undersell Fire 2 and then hopefully over-deliver when it actually happens. But this time around, I actually have great support. So the best logistic partners, the best festival partners. And unfortunately, these guys are bigger companies, so they'll kind of let me be crazy on the side. But when it's time to announce them, you know, we will work with them in their media departments to make the proper announcements. So, okay, I got to know, Billy. Yeah, I know what you want to ask. I, I, I'm going to ask, and I know yeah. you, you probably know what I'm going to ask. You're going to ask about Andy. Huh? No, I was oh, going to ask about oh, Andy. I thought you were going to ask, well, ask about Andy. <laughs> I, am, uh, I was going to ask about, you got to serve cheese sandwiches at this, just <laughs> as a thing. I'm serious. It, 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 it's, and people would expect it at this point. Come on. Seriously, so Billy. The, our partners are not going to let me do much at the festival. However, I am going to be cooking cheese sandwiches with Andy at the actual event. So I think that's as far as they'll let me go. But that is definitely happening. Oh, <laughs> Andy is going to be involved. All right. Okay. A Andy will be there. <laughs> wow. To bounce back and to have that moment, as you described in the video, sitting in, in solitary and to feel like this could actually come to fruition, congratulations. Um, we'll be waiting to see when this, how this all comes together. December 2024, correct? Yes, sir. So we will definitely see you guys there. Ah, I just want to thank uh, everybody. <laughs> I, I, I don't know about that, but oh man, I will say, Billy, I got it, and I mean this. I really admire your moxie and your resilience because a lot of people would just be beaten down after the experience. And good on you for this. I mean, it just proves that you can't take a snapshot of somebody and say that will define them for the rest of their life. Good on you. Thank you very much. All right. Really mean that. Well, really mean that. Yep. See how it comes together yeah, over the next uh, 15 months. We'll be watching. Okay. Oh. By the way, if you have any, Billy, if you have any artists that you end up lining up, we would love to announce it here. So. Oh, yeah. That's absolutely true. Once that starts to come together, let us know. Well, you just made my sales pitch to talent 10 times easier to give them TMZ exposure. So, <laughs> so, so thank you, guys. There you go. All right. Thank Okey you, Billy. Billy. Thank you. Uh, we are going to take a break. Yes. Uh, when we come back, Kanye and his wife are in big trouble in Italy. Officials over there think um, she's not wearing enough, quite frankly. <laughs> and this bodysuit that he loves to see her in. They think it's criminal. They think it's criminal. Exactly. Welcome back to TMZ Live. Newsflash, if you are going to Italy, you cannot walk around naked. As officials in Italy feel Kanye West's wife has been doing, I think that's debatable. It's not, she's not naked. It's not naked. Um, but this bodysuit, which I'm imagining, I'm just guessing that Kanye really, really loves the look of the bodysuit on her because we've seen her for several weeks now in many different locations wearing similar versions of this bodysuit. So this has caused a huge thing in Italy. I don't understand it's it. It's a little- What is wrong with it's it? It's a bit sheer at times. I know it's sheer, but it's not as revealing. But it's not, you're right. It's, it's not, not like not a full nudity. I mean, they, they have beaches in Italy and people are in bikinis. It's different, but they're not on the beach. Yeah, but Charles, you're sounding pretty prude right now. She doesn't look bad. She looks stunning. I didn't she say looks she good. looks it's bad. It's in Italy. It's the summer. I, I know Hold on, on a second. I'm not saying a she looks bad. I'm not saying she looks bad at all. 
So don't come in and put words in my mouth. Yeah, but you're Courtney. saying you're almost saying that she is like dressing a little bit scandalous. And I don't know. I'm are. saying that's what the Italian officials are saying. But I don't get that. But she's not though, and you have to agree with that. She's fully oh, I mean it's sheer, but her legs are fully covered. There's a little bit of a thong. She looks good. Just let her be. Well, again, it's not about quality. I'm not saying good or bad. Just I saying, just don't see it as revealing. It seems, I mean, I've seen- There are photos well, that- Well, there are that, photos that you can see through yes. her shirt and it is sheer. So that part is aggressive. By the way, we have blurred that there. Fair enough. Without the blur, you would be seeing more. Okay, so I have a, I have a take on this, Courtney. And that is um, win for Kanye West in the sense that look at the attention he's gotten for fashion again. And that's kind of what he's after. And maybe that's, that's what he, and that's, maybe that was his whole plan. Well, it has she's to be. Been, he like, has the biggest smile on his face too. But I also wonder, do you think Kim's a little bit jealous at all? Because no. like Kim used to be his muse though, and he used to dress her. Like now someone's completely yeah, well, there replacing there were, there, were, there were lots of downsides to that. Right. Right. I think Kim's saying, Kim's, I'm good. Kim's Have like, fun in Italy. Yeah, just <laughs> stay with her. Can we acknowledge that while there's some people on social media that are saying Bianca should be thrown out of Italy for this, this is probably not how the vast majority of Italians are feeling. I don't <laughs> think people are really paying I attention think you are to right. right. fits that closely. Yes. Fair point. I think you it's are absolutely, absolutely right. true. I think the citizens of Italy would say, shut up, politicians. And, and, and a good. lot of citizens of Italy will say, thumbs up. I think a lot would say, who? <laughs> Hi, my name is Latrice Butts. I live in New York City, by the way, in Manhattan. Okay, let's be real. She's walking around in a pantyhose jumpsuit, <laughs> and you can see her thong. It looks hideous. <laughs> and they're in Florence, Italy, and that's where him and Kim were married. So I think this is, I mean, he's been there over a month, and I think he's trying to make Kim jealous. And she's walking around and not with no regards to children. I mean, yeah, she's basically naked with a pantyhose, jumpsuit, catsuit, whatever you want to call it. It is so hideous. And I do think that Kanye West is trying to get his fashion line back. But who would walk around in that? And if you also notice, all of Kanye women after Kim Kardashian walks around like zombies. <laughs> and they wear the weirdest I gotta, clothes. I, I got to say, <laughs> Latrice you seem Ital came with fire. Latrice, I didn't know you were so, you're Italian, clearly, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Oh, my God. Kanye, something's clearly going on with Kanye, guys. I don't well, know. Put well, that's, uh, that, that ship has sailed. Yes. <laughs> okay, we are going to move on. Yes, uh, to a very interesting development um, adjacent to the Gilgo Beach murders. This is fascinating. Um, so, you know, we actually did a special, which is um, a documentary that is streaming right now on Hulu. In part of that investigation, we were putting it together we heard a lot of people talking about the former police chief in Suffolk County, uh, which is on Long Island, uh, where Gilgo Beach is. And, and a he, lot of people he, felt- he, His name is James Brick, and I don't even think it's a feel issue. He derailed this investigation. They found 11 bodies on Gilgo Beach um, around 2011. And, they, and had they pursued clues, they would have caught um, the killer. Again, 11 bodies, eight, at least eight were sex workers. They would have found the killer had they, pursued obvious clues. That police chief did not pursue those clues and didn't want to because he himself was frequenting prostitutes and didn't want the spotlight put on him with a bunch of dead bodies who were sex workers in his right. jurisdiction. And he went to prison over something kind of semi-related, 
But well, guess what? Cut to Tuesday morning, and James Burke, the former police chief, is has been arrested uh, once again, this time for soliciting a sex worker in Suffolk County. Uh, allegedly, this went down, it went down next to the Vietnam War Memorial in Suffolk County, and uh, the police are saying he was soliciting a sex worker. Yeah, yeah, the charges are specifically offering a sex act, public lewdness, indecent exposure, and criminal solicitation. And as you said, Harvey doesn't take a rocket scientist to connect the dots that he was maybe conflicted or compromised in some way of conducting a thorough and diligent investigation of the Gilgo Beach murders. And who knows how many additional people had to die while this was bungled in such a profound way. I gotta say, if you um, watch our documentary on this, um, it's almost inconceivable that there weren't additional victims. Um, now, you know Rex Heuerman has been uh, charged with three of the murders. He's prime suspect in a fourth. But a lot of people say that whether it's Rex Heuerman or not, there have to be more bodies. Serial killers just don't stop. We get into the whole thing, and some of the people we talk to, well, they'll, they'll just blow your mind. Um, it is TMZ investigates Gilgo Beach serial murders, missed warning signs, which is streaming right now on Hulu. Hi, I'm Catherine Vaughn from Memphis, Tennessee, and this is a really unfortunate turn of events in this case and a really bad look for Suffolk County and their police department. How many other cases has this investigator bumbled during this, um, his pursuit of his own things going on? It's really a bad look for them, and, and hopefully um, they'll continue to find victims and connect them with families. Yeah, yeah. And we should make clear he's the ex-police chief. There is a current chief there. Who's been uh, very apologetic about the way it was handled in the past, past. Yeah. right. Drew Barrymore had one of her interviews, an uh, interview she was doing live in New York City, interrupted by a weird guy who charged the stage. Yeah. This is terrifying. Uh, making some declarations that certainly not only scared Drew, but also uh, pop star Renee Rapp, who she was interviewing at the time. Uh, but watch how they both reacted Security also tried to jump in, but this guy definitely had everybody on edge. Sell people. Oh my God, Say yes, hi. I'm Chad Michael Busto, you know who I am. I need to see you at some point while I'm here in New York City. Okay? Here, here, take this. Well, that was a... definition of, of your sexiness. It's that level of protectiveness that went full bodyguard. Uh, rest true, Drew is acknowledging Renee did react very quickly and sort of was the one who escorted Drew off while security took care of Mr. Busto, um, whoever he is. But there was something about the way he yelled her name and then made this declaration of, I need to see as you. As soon as he said that, you could see that everything changed. Right. But I need this to see is what's you. so scary, that it turns on a dime and it happens quickly. Yeah, I agree with you guys. It seemed very clear that uh, Drew Barrymore knew who this uh, this guy was, and, and she seemed frightened by his presence there. Um, I, I thought that was pretty cool of Renee Rapp to, to sort of put herself in between this guy, have no idea what his intention is, and uh, she was very protective of Drew Barrymore. I, I will say this, there was no police involvement. And, they and, just escorted him from the building. But I it thought. also shows you that just because of all the craziness that's going on in our world, that you know celebrities who are out there in front of crowds like this, they think about this because you could tell Renee 
you know, she had right. it in, you know, in, in her holster here, you know, here, the holster here, holster. <laughs> here's, you know, here's what I'm going to do if, and she reacted right. very, You know very what, quickly. I was going to say, I think I, I, my, my first uh, thought was that they overreacted, but then I thought back to some of the stuff that we have seen recently, and we've seen sometimes security is not the most effective at keeping people away from the stages. We've seen you Dave have Chappelle no idea what that, happen. yeah. Don't know what don't this guy's him. intentions were. Well, and also or what he if he was armed, you have no idea. That's right. And and when you say that first you thought they overreacted. You don't know whether it's an overreaction until you see what that person does out. and then it's too late. Better safe than sorry. And absolutely yeah. better safe than sorry and you have to do what they did which is get out of potentially harm's way, which is precisely what they did. And I'm telling you, I think Renee she just had this programmed. I really do. Victor Ami, Los Angeles here. The clip is pretty scary because the guy sounds pretty serious. And uh, Drew is a really nice uh, person. As a journalist, I've met countless celebrities. And Drew is truly a very uh, sweet and generous person. And unfortunately, sometimes these, uh, uh, these stalkers take that the wrong way. They think that they have an open door. Yeah. No, I mean, she's... Uh... A gracious person, but I got to say, it is just a scary world out there with what's yep. going on. We have all been seeing uh, Tori Spelling and her five children um, with Dean McDermott um, really going through a, a tough time since Dean and Tori announced that they were splitting up. And the latest tribulation for them is a hospital stay for Tori Spelling. Uh, she was actually in for four days. She didn't reveal publicly that she was in the hospital until Sunday, but you she got see, out later that day. You see she is worse for wear here. Yeah, and it's not just the wheelchair. The wheelchair, you could say, is kind of standard op when you're uh, leaving a hospital, but there is an image where you can see this. Uh, she has a bruise on her face. So we still don't know what landed her in the hospital, um, but we know that she and the kids have been, at one point they were staying in a motel. Then an RV. Then in an RV. And guys, I spoke to someone close to her yesterday, uh, just trying to get to the bottom of why she was hospitalized. People around her, I don't really know. She hasn't really been communicating with people um, that, you know, they consider close to her. So it's really unclear at this point what the injury was. At first, I kind of thought maybe dehydration because she had been staying in that RV and was, you know, assuming parked somewhere in a park or a rural area. But the fact that she had gone in on the 17th, which was last Thursday and only got dismissed yesterday is quite a long period of time for it to be something like hydration. Yeah. And then you see the bruises. And yeah. so, yeah, yeah no, for sure. Fall of some sort. Something, or something, ha but. something happened. And I got to say that when you kind of look at what's been going on over the last month, there's concern here. Yeah, there's something going definitely on. Definitely reason for concern. And Whatever's going on with her, you really hope that um, it gets better. Yep. Hi, my name is Christina. I'm from Coquitlam, BC, Canada. And, you know, I feel for Tori. It's unfortunate she's had such a horrible year. I do wish her well. Um, staying in for four days, that's quite a long stay for a hospital these days. So, you know, with the bruises and all that, it looks like, in my opinion, I thought maybe a fall. It's hard to say when when they don't yeah. give the details, but you know, always yeah. wish her well. Something's going on. Uh, what else you guys want to talk about? This is Roger Jansen from Ferndale, Washington, and I'm talking about the heckling response to the Hawaii wildfires with our president. You know, Joe Biden is doing the best that he can. You know, have you ever run a business with employees? Well, multiply that by like 10,000. You know, not only do they have to run a country, our administration, you, if you walked in their shoes, 
you would understand all the different issues they have to think about. And they also have to keep track of all the bad actors in the world uh, as we're the leader of the free nation. Thank you. Yeah, and I just think that that no comment uh, quip um, was kind of an unforced error. Um, yeah. That it, it Because just, he could have garnered some more sympathy absolutely. or compassion for the situation with a, a, an actual answer as opposed to That's no right. comment. One more. Hey guys, Tori from New Jersey. Um, Britney Spears, her lawyer and uh, her manager, I guess it's a good idea, whatever can help. I just hope they don't, um, you know, overly spend or try to take advantage of her with her money. Yeah, there are a, a bunch of problems here. Okay, the crowd surfing at concerts is getting out of hand. Um, I say that because this shouldn't happen, right? This should not happen under uh, any circumstance. Flo Rida was performing in Pennsylvania. Looked like it was a great show. Everyone was having a great time. Someone was having such a great time, they decided, you know what, let me let Flo Rida take care of my kid for a moment. They passed the baby up there like his Lion King. I don't want to sound like a fuddy-duddy, but <laughs> what's a kid doing at a Flo Rida concert, number one? That's um, my first question. I will say, the kids seem to have a good time. Well, I mean, Oh, there, they did the Simba. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is this okay? You don't know when you hand your child off to this random people in a crowd. Do you think? I mean, my God. Luckily, it turned out well for the. Hey, the kid's got a great memory that he or she is not going to remember. <laughs> That's hysterical. Okay, guys, we will see you tomorrow.